Thank you, Sunbeams. So the question that got everybody out tonight is, what is the number one concern among teenagers today? And the note in the bulletin said, in a teenager's mind, life without blank leads nowhere. So what are the answers to these questions? Do you think they are important for you to know, particularly as parents? I hope you do. And I hope that after this evening you would agree with me that they are important questions because these questions will determine the path that a teenager will take. And we will answer those questions tonight, but first I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and let's read verses 11 through 14. Start at verse 11. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Let's go back to the top. The words of wise men. Verse 11, the words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. He speaks in particular of words, but not just anyone's words. The words of wise men. Only wise men. Not people we think are cool. Not the celebrities. Not musicians. Not actors or television show hosts. Not successful businessmen. Not all these people that society listens to. These, are, these have become the people that we allow to influence us and tell us what we should do and who we should be. But the Bible says, wise men. What makes a person wise? How do we know someone is wise? Teens, how do you know someone is wise? By what they say? Okay. Does experience make someone wise? Is it only experience? Some people have learned from experience that they shouldn't trust anyone because people will always let them down and hurt them. Some people have learned that hard work does not pay off. So I'm going to be lazy and get by doing the bare minimum. Me and my... Uh, <laughs> I just thought of this. Me and, my, me and two of my friends from high school, we, uh, we, were, we were like in eighth, eighth or ninth grade and we were doing social studies. And, and we were learning about the Aztecs. And, uh, and we decided to form a group called the Giddy Aztec Nation. And now you know where my hotmail address comes from. Um, and our whole, the whole, the, the mission statement of this group was to be as lazy as possible, do the bare minimum, and still do as good as you can. And my mom is burying her head. She's so embarrassed. <laughs> And she knows that when I was in high school, I did the bare minimum to get by. But somehow I still got good grades, right, Mom? Uh, that was a rabbit trail. Um, so experience is not the only factor in determining if someone is wise. Wisdom comes from God. And this is what we know. So I would say experience plus godly character equals someone I can learn from. Someone I can listen to. But what do we do instead? Most of the time, 
particularly as teenagers, we turn to our friends. I did it. Every teenager does it. Why? Because your friends are the people you have the most in common with. They're the people you're most comfortable with. But does your friend have the experience and are they drawing from the well of God's wisdom in his word to encourage you? These are questions you need to ask yourself. But why should we turn to wise men? As this passage says, the words of wise men are like goads. What is a goad? A goad is a shepherd's tool. It's basically a long stick with a pointy end. And you juke the animals with it. So whenever the animal would not do what the shepherd wanted him to do or the farmer wanted the, the ox to do, he would poke it with this thing called a goad. And if the animal didn't like it, he would get stuck harder until it did what the master wanted it to do. Or it would kick out and stab itself and hurt its own self. But the intention of a goad is to correct when you stray. When the ox would go the way that the farmer didn't want him to go, he would get poked until he got back on track. We know this happened to the Apostle Paul when he was Saul, when he was persecuting the church. And Jesus appeared to him and, and blinded him and, and everything. And, uh, and Jesus said to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, it is difficult for you to kick against the goads. This is Jesus talking to Saul. He's saying, Saul, you're only hurting yourself when you persecute the church. And this is what God used to turn Saul into Paul. So the goad is not always pleasant. Sometimes the goad is painful and sometimes it is necessary. And are not Aren't words of wise people sometimes painful? Sometimes they are the exact thing that we do not want to hear. They're telling us to do exactly what we don't want to do, but they are necessary. Not only are they like goads, but he says masters of these collections, these collections of words, of wisdom, masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. Well-driven nails. Um, do you want a house that is built poorly? Are you, are you going to use shoddy material? A house with well-driven nails is going to stand. It's not going to fall apart, unlike my mother's roof in her house. That house has been there for over 30 years, and in the last few weeks, the roof fell apart, and the whole roof needed to be replaced. And now they're living with me. This is what happens when you use shoddy material, which they didn't know at the time, when you use shoddy material to build, to build something. And so the author Solomon here, he's telling us words of wisdom will keep our lives on track. They will keep us together. They will hold us together. That's what nails do, right? They hold things together. So why? Why are wise men and wise words so effective at, at keeping our lives on track? When we go off track, they goad us back onto the right path. 
and they hold us together. He tells us, says they are given by one shepherd. Who is that one shepherd? God, of course. But all of these words, he says, they are given by one shepherd. So what is this telling us? This is telling us that there is unity in this truth. We don't have to second guess or have anxiety that I might hear something else, something that's better or something that's different. And so maybe I should listen to that. No, what he's saying is they are given by one shepherd, one person who you need to listen to. It is God who is giving the truth so we can trust it. But God is not just the big mean God who gives us a bunch of rules and doesn't want us to have any fun. This passage tells us he is the shepherd. He's the guiding, caring, protecting shepherd who cares about our well-being. Jesus told the parable of, of the shepherd who left the 99 sheep to chase the one that got away. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he gave his life to make sure that we could be a part of his flock. So that we could be brought under his protection, under his guidance, under his care. We don't need to run away from his commands because they are wise. They might not feel good, but they will build a foundation of our life that will last. They will keep our relationships, our job, our schoolwork. All of these things will fit together much better when we follow God's commands and seek his will in them. It's like Dr. Martin was talking about this morning. We can obey God or we can harden our heart and choose to rebel. And God says, all right, this is what you want. You can have it. Romans 1 says, God gave the people over to their lust. This is what you want. You can have it. And then you can watch your life fall apart. You can watch things unravel unnecessarily when if you would have followed God's word in the first place, followed God's wisdom that he has given to us, none of that would have been necessary. None of that needed to happen. So we go on. Verse 12. But, but beyond this, my son, be warned. But beyond this, beyond what? Beyond the wisdom given by the one shepherd. Beyond the words of wise men that are given by God. Beyond all the revelation that God has given us in his word. Beyond this book. Saying anything outside of this book, he's going to tell us something. He says, be warned. Be warned about something beyond the wisdom of God's word. The writing of many books. Now these many books are not God's word. Okay? The writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. All of the students are saying, yes, this is true. We don't want to study anymore. But that's not what I want to say tonight. And here are the answers to the questions. George Barna wrote this book, and I used it in the last youth service. And, uh, and it's, it's been a great tool in preparing for this youth service. And what he did was he took a survey of thousands of teenagers. And he came out with with their top issues, their top concerns. And this is what he says about the number one concern of teenagers. By far, the top-rated issue for teens these days relates to not drugs, not suicide, not relationships, not boyfriend, girlfriend, not my parents. 
The top rated issue for teens these days relates to educational achievement. Four out of 10, 40% of teenagers name the challenges related to educational achievement as their top focus. And he goes on to say that this reflects a major change because the, the teens in my generation, they pursued education as a means to gain their parents' approval. But he says the teens of this generation, they have, they have learned that that doesn't work. This is what they say. He says, today's teens approach educational achievement from a different angle than my generation. The novelty of emotional abandonment by adults has worn off. In fact, we find that millions of young people, having been raised in such an environment, expect nothing else than emotional abandonment. The teens in my generation, we tried to please our parents by doing well in school. But what we found was that even if we did well in school, we were still emotionally neglected. And so to de teens today, have, they've already figured that out, that adults aren't going to be there for them. And thus, they pursue educational achievement because they recognize it as a gateway to independence, self-definition, and material success. 40% of teenagers, this is their number one concern. 96% of teenagers say that they are probably going to go to college because the underlying philosophy is that life without college leads nowhere. So let me stop here and say this. Is college wrong? No. I don't want anyone to call me tomorrow and say that I told everyone that they are sinning by sending their students to college. That's not what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that the key is the motivation for why your teen is going to college. This book tells us that teens are pursuing college because adults have abandoned them emotionally. And to me, that is a really sad statement. They have come to expect it. And it almost doesn't even phase them. They want to do well in school, but they're not doing it to, to gain their parents' approval because they see education as a means to gain independence, self-identification or identity, and stuff, material wealth. They want to gain independence from adults because adults have let them down, so they're looking for, for a way to not need adults anymore. Adults aren't going to be there for me, they think. Or a, an adult is not going to provide what I need, so I need to figure out a way to not have to depend on anyone. Not only independence from adults, but independence from God. If they can use their education to get what they need, then they won't need God anymore because many of them only do what God says because they want Him to keep providing. But if education provides what they always depended on God for, then they no longer need God and they have one less being in their life telling them what to do. Hence, giving them a greater sense of freedom. Not only independence, but identity. Education will give them a sense of accomplishment. A sense that they belong to a certain group of people. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. And they gain this sense of respect. It will give them the respect that they so greatly desire. And the respect that should be instilled in them by their parents. And by the knowledge that they are created in God's image. And therefore already of great value. But educational achievement gives them this feeling that they are someone important. 
because they already don't have it. And stuff. Stuff will make me happy. I see that thing on TV, and boy, that looks good, and I want that, and I need that. And I will be happy if I get that. My friends will be envious of me if I get that. And education will provide them the means to get that job that will allow them to make the money and move up and buy that car they want or that boat. But we already know. We watch it. We see it every day on the entertainment, on the news entertainment or whatever. That celebrities have all the money that they could want and they are still miserable. Every top story is, guess who's in rehab? E. Spears is back in rehab. Shocker. They end up strung out on drugs and with a million broken relationships. All the money and all the stuff in the world did not make them happy. But somehow, today's teenager sees education as a means to, to attain all of these things. Independence, identity, a sense of, of who I am, a sense of value, and a way to just get more stuff. So parents, now I ask you, what do your teens perceive as your priority for their life? Do they perceive school and education as the thing that is most important to you for them? Or, or do they see that you would rather them love God and learn who they are in Christ and learn that they are not to be independent but dependent on Jesus and that they don't need to have a ton of stuff to be happy. What is the model that you are laying down? We've made a little video. Um, see if you can identify with this. Hey, uh, Calvin Brands. No trading back. Guess what we're doing all now? All of the time, I have to get ready for youth group. Bring it real good? I have to bring it real good. You finish your homework yet? No. No? Well, I mean, you can't go to your group. You can't finish your homework yet, and guess what? You can't go to Bible study next week either. I mean, you got BJCs coming up there, and you got BJCs, time to study, and guess what? I think you better get a quiet practice too, you know, all these projects coming up. Well, Megan, you, 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 got, you got to get in the books. But I have to go to you group so I can see my friends. Plus, I have to learn the word of God, Daddy. Come on. Yeah, learn, learn the word of God. Yeah, yeah Megan, the word of God, right. Yeah, you, listen, you got plenty of time for that. Right now, let's stick to the books. Also, that's a fortune to send you to that school. You got in the books. Sorry. Yeah. Campaign violence, no turning back. <laughs> I guess it ain't long now. Megan? Megan? Yes. 6 30. Time to get ready for your group. Daddy, I'm gonna go to your group. I have homework, plus I have BJC and all of that. I mean, projects due Monday. Projects? Project New Monday. Vegas is the same project that was assigned a month ago. Yeah. Mm -mm, Megan, you're not missing your group tonight. It's part of the schedule. I mean, I'm missing your group tonight. 
not miss the discovery or Bible study next week. And don't think about that kind of quiet practice. All of this is a part of your timetable. You're letting the Word of God participate in these activities. That's priority. Sorry. Let's get going. I mean, but they're so boring, Daddy. So boring. Megan, tell me something. When Pastor Terrence speaks, what do you go listening for? I mean, do you go listening for boring stuff or do you go listening for something that's going to actually make you grow? I mean, tell me. Because guess what? Go listening for the boring stuff and what he didn't say and what ain't happening and what's out of sync and what's out of whack. That's exactly what you're going to hear. But if you go listen to something that's going to help you grow spiritually, like we and like you should want to grow, then that's what you're going to get too. Okay, Daddy. You know? Alright? Okay. I'll get ready for you. Alright. 25 minutes. Which parent are you? you know, we came out of the missions conference in March um, thinking how, how amazing it is that Muslims send their kids to, to Muslim Sunday school for two hours every day to study the Quran. And we came out saying, wow, it'd be so great and so how different would our kids be if we sent our kids to, to Sunday school for two hours every day? What would, how different would they be? But the reality is, we have been pulling our kids out of ministry and out of church activities so that they can get better grades. Discovery class, the teen discovery class has dropped from 10 to 3. Living Stones has been cut in half. Uh, Living Stones went from about, from, from about 20 to, to 10 or 11 what you see tonight. And almost all of them are because their parents want their kids to focus on school and get better grades. What is the message that we are sending to our kids, to our teenagers? We are pushing this education on them, saying, this is what you need to have a good life. But God has given us a warning saying, be careful about putting a priority on studying things other than God's Word. It will wear you out. But studying God's Word will give life to your body if that's why you're studying it. You know, we can read the Bible like, it, like it's another textbook if you want to, but, but if we are moving God from a concept to a reality, like Dr. Martin talked about this morning, then we will study God's word because we want to grow and to learn how to walk in the spirit and to learn how to love God more and be more dependent on him, not independent. This is what will bring the abundant life that Jesus talked about to our souls. When we come to verse 13, Solomon says, the conclusion, wrapping it all up, when all has been heard, this is coming from Solomon, the wisest man in the world who had all the education he could need or could want. The richest man in the world. The richest man the world has ever seen. He could buy whatever he want, whatever he wanted. 
He said, he said I'm going to check everything out. In chapter 2, he says, I'm going to try to have experience all the pleasure that the world has to offer me. Because he had the resources to do it. He's, he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a mechanical bull. Right? That's a country song for those of you. <laughs> He's saying, I did everything. And what would Solomon do today? Imagine, Solomon didn't have the things that we have today. Solomon would have said, yeah, I went skydiving. I went bungee jumping. I, I had the boats. I had the yachts. I had the jet skis. I had a condo on Atlantis on Paradise Island. He said, I did it all. He said, I saw everything. I did everything. When all has been heard, this is a conclusion he makes. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Verse 14, for God will bring, he tells you why you should fear God. For, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God knows everything. So let's say you go to college, and you get your degree, and you go to, to a graduate program, and you get your master's, and you become a doctor. And then you get the job that makes all the money, and you get married, and you have your 2.4 kids. That's the average number of kids in, in a household. The teens are looking at me like, oh, 2.4. And you do all these things, but you leave God out of it. You're not opposed to God. You don't hate God, but you just don't really love him. He hasn't become a reality. He's still just a concept. What are you going to say to God when you die? Because Solomon tells us every act is going to be brought into judgment. Are you going to say, well, I made a lot of money. A lot of people thought I was cool. What do you think God's going to say to that? So what? What are we teaching our teens? What are we teaching the sunbeams? You have to get good grades so that you can live a good life, so that you can go to school and get an education. I can use myself as an example. Do you all think I'm wasting my life? Because I had my degree, and Charlie reminded me of this on Friday, that when I th was thinking about going to Word of Life for a year, a lot of people told, told me, no, you need to stay and you need to, you need to work. You should be working. You got your degree. You need to be working. Forget that Bible stuff. I was playing golf with, with a couple of friends before I went to Word of Life, and, and, and one of them asked me, he said, so Terrence, you got your degree, right? I said, yeah. He's like, so what are you going to this Bible school for? He's like, help me understand this. And at that time, it was a difficult question to answer because I was struggling with it myself. But I knew that God had to become a priority in my life again. And if God, if, if you want God to be a priority for your teens, it will work out. Do you trust God? I mean, I look at myself and, I, and two weeks before my year at where life ended, I didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. But two weeks before my year ended, the previous youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church resigns and the door opens and Pastor Sean comes in and it just works out. So are we encouraging our teens to maybe pursue a year at Word of Life or a year on, on the Logos boat? Or are we telling them that, that that would be wasting their life, that that would be wasting a year of their life because they want to do something for God? 
because we think they need to be educated first. God wants us to fear him and to love him and to pursue a relationship with him above everything, even education. So where are you at? And what are your motives as a parent and as a student? Like I say, college is not wrong. But have we put that above serving God? So tonight as we worship, consider the words to these songs and ask for God to help them, to help you make them a reality in your own life. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to make you our priority and not studying, not pursuing things that are going to make our life better in our own eyes. Lord, help us to pursue you in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.